0: Episode 0021. We've got the Hateful Eight versus True Grit 2010.
1: Neck, so go check the law and divide. Watch your step flex and get holes in
0: your side. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Movie Wars podcast. I'm your... Oh, I lost my quote. I gotta <laughs> read mine. Damn it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Movie Wars podcast, episode 0021. Yeah, Warren, that's the problem with old men. You can kick them down the stairs and say it's an accident, but you can't just shoot them. I'm Kyle. I always go backwards when I'm backing up.
1: <laughs> I'm Drew. When I elbow you real hard in the face, that means shut up. I'm Phil. <laughs> So
0: many good quotes in these movies. We've got the Hateful Eight versus True Grit, 2010. Wow. What a matchup! This was pr- Phil has been throwing some zingers with matchups. Drew is our matchmaker, but Phil has been. What's up with you lately? Like you randomly text us, like, how about this one? I'm like,
1: that's awesome. It only took 19 episodes for me to figure out our format, but I think I've finally got it down.
2: So we take two similar movies and we match them up against each other. We'll call it movie war. Mm-hmm. They usually have something in common,
1: even if they're not and similar. They, they share a. Three- Thread. Tendrils is what but I they call they them.
2: They sit in a common cultural thought place. <laughs> I don't know. That. I know
1: Kyle's got an intro prepared, but I think the thread here is more like Tarantino versus the Coens. So yeah. More so than Westerns. It
0: sure is. And, and to me, I my thoughts hmm. are kind of half and half. Westerns are so essential to film. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's one of the building blocks of cinema. It was kind of one of the first ways that action was mainlined. And you see the simplicity of Westerns really threaded throughout popular films forever. Because I, was, I remember watch the dollars trilogy, the Clint Eastwood, you know, which is a fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, and then it finishes up with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this is the theme, right? A good guy who's kind of good comes into town and shit's going wrong. He fixes it, but the good guys are always they're kind of like passive. They're like, yeah, sure, I'll do a nice thing. Why not? But you the know, villains like always really love being villains in oh, yeah. westerns. It's like the good guys kind of like whatever. And you know what that is to me? That's the Mad Max. Like I was thinking of Mad Max and the Road Warrior. It's always that Gibson or now Tom Hart. Party would stroll in and like he really doesn't care about anybody, but they always hook him into helping him out. Like mm-hmm. so many good guy, bad guy dynamics are set from that. And I love how much bad guys love being villains in Westerns. And it's against the bleak backdrop of the Italian deserts and the Italian, you know, because these are spaghetti Westerns. And you put on top of that, like Phil said, this is really about the Coen brothers versus Tarantino, which to me is a dream matchup. Those are top five directors for me. And I think when you talk about American directors that have impacted film in some of the largest way, from like a auteur perspective you have to name those, that's Mount Rushmore but the thing is is that these directors are not like avoidant of westerns Tarantino has openly said westerns influenced him more than anything and that's the reason why originally Hateful Eight was a part of a trilogy, it was going to be Django the middle one was going to be the Hateful Eight, then there's going to be a third film that's going to be a western if he decides to make another western, but he's heavily impacted by Leone, the guy that directed the, the Fistful of Dollars, the Cohens. even though No Country for Old Men is not necessarily a traditional western, you see it the footprints that Texas oh, yeah. desert backdrop it's all over it. So these are directors that are modern American directors that really do love and are influenced by the western genre. The last thing I want to say about Tarantino and about the Coens is they actually share a few things. First, I don't I want to hear your thoughts on this guys. Doesn't it feel like when you you're 5 minutes into a Tarantino movie or 5 minutes into a Coens movie like if you didn't know who was directing it you would just know immediately yeah, who directed it, it. pretty Absolutely. easily. There are so few directors that have that very ver- Hoven a little bit has that, but you could just drop me in the middle of like a three-hour Tarantino movie. I'm like, it's Tarantino. Same yeah. with the
2: Coens, right? It's the dialogue style and also the, I think the editing. It's all, yeah. Like the dialogue to me and the editing are the two things that are like, whoa, this is really mm-hmm. Tarantino-esque, you well, know? Lack of CGI. They both love film. Mm-hmm. They don't like digital. Like Tarantino has said the day
0: that they force him to do digital, he will no longer make movies or he'll just go to TV instead because it would give him a longer format to work with anyway. Last thing these two share is, and I love this, and, and these movies are good examples of this but one thing that both of these directors do and and I say, I say this as someone that loves both of their catalogs so I mean these are Mount Rushmore directors for me they run their characters at a thousand miles an hour like whatever their archetype is for their characters they push that right when it's almost annoying that's where the plot breaks it's like mm-hmm. you whatever this person is he's a thousand percent of that and you're almost annoyed and then that's where the plot crosses and that's where all the crazy weird plot lines start to cross and that's how they both direct I mean Mm -hmm. have you observed that about these directors that they get so much from these characters Mm. yes yes You can cut that. We're you,
1: really uh we're really providing a lot of color no, here today. No, it's fine. Today. You
0: can
2: cut all this shit out. So anyway, we got a <laughs> No, mount- it's
1: not you you're doing great. We're just I, I don't know if like there's an adjustment because of the weather <laughs> I was a outside. i
2: sure about the question was that just that he yeah. really develops characters quickly?
0: Is well, that- no, they don't develop like who whatever their characteristics are. A good example is no country for old men, Brolin, you know, southern, kind of just stuck on his ways and like he just kind they just really invest in that character who they are. Like they just like put it in your face for the mm-hmm. whole movie and just when you're like, okay, I don't know if I can handle any more of this character, the little cracks or their flaws well, as characters start to show. And that's where the plot, like Fargo is a huge example of that, where whenever that character starts to break, and that's where the plot line starts well, to what, develop.
1: Um, True Grit had that too mm-hmm. with Jeff Bridges' character. Same deal. He is a drunk, checked out, just old sheriff type person. You think he's just in it for the money or just in it because he's got nothing better to do. And then when it comes down to brass tacks, he steps in and, and like, you know, does everything in his power. Power to save that girl all of a sudden any equity that she's built up with him like comes out and it becomes super emotional like he just mm-hmm. all of a sudden really cares and is like i'm, I'm yes. responsible for her you know when he rides that horse until it dies to save her like that was that like scene the whole movie he's
0: passive he's dusty he's drunk he's not caring he makes bad decisions but so drunk <laughs> when it came down to it he did everything within his power yeah. to put her in a position yeah. to survive.
2: and i feel like the name of the film really paid off in that moment because it's pretty, obviously the movie's called true grit and then the term true grit grit you know she had been mentioned a couple of times she was like you know i heard he had true grit and then when he was carrying her back that that was out of sight but i found myself thinking like wow this guy is really just like has true grit Y'all yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Like, sort of grit. like it totally led me just the storytelling led me to that own my own conclusion and then i was mm-hmm. like oh yeah they already said that and that's why it's called true grit got it
1: but i think i'm getting i'm like coming to this now with you saying what you're saying and thinking about that movie but the interesting thing is the movie's called true grit There's mention of him having true grit, but he never shows it throughout the movie. He is just old and sloppy. Until the end. And doesn't give a shit. It just then makes you wonder, like, what was he like before he gave up? Because this guy obviously has some fire in him and is, like, willing to literally go the extra mile to, like, take care of somebody and be a badass. But he just never shows that at all in the movie. Yeah, he
2: has a really laissez-faire attitude the entire time. Yeah. It's do or die. In
1: the original,
0: I love what you said because the original did a good job of this, too. And for those that don't know, this is a remake of a 69 job. John Wayne film but here's what I thought I actually yeah he eventually shows his grit but to me the point of the movie was who really had true grit it was Maddie Mm -hmm. like the whole film like I'm like she's the only one with real grit Labeef Mm -hmm. is a pansy he's inconsistent the only one that has real grit is this girl yeah huh right yeah but anyway the note I'll finish on is I really the reason I think the Coen brothers and Tarantino are so distinct no one really shows as much confidence and control over their films because they reduce the amount of technology no one is in this camp too because no and hates cgi he hates multiple cameras like these directors all share this thing they want to have control yet the actors love working with them especially uh uh almost said travolta tarantino i watched this comic-con with the hateful eight and kurt russell was just talking about you know he's older in that movie he was Mm -hmm. just like the the opportunity to work with tarantino was the biggest thrill of my career that's what he said and you see him like after a shot, he literally walks up high five, people. people's like, that was awesome. He's like a fan behind the camera. He was like, that was awesome. Was like, we don't need to do those. That was great. I can't wait to edit that. And like, he's like walking around celebrating after scenes in a three-hour <laughs> movie. So anyway, I love the amount of control they have. But let's get into some uh, experiences. Phil, let's start with you this time with experiences because this was your matchup.
1: Ooh. Um, I really enjoy something about the Western genre in any form that it comes in. Uh, one of my favorite games or game series is the Red Dead Redemption uh, game. Amen. Um, Like I could kind of just play those forever and be happy because there's something about like the desert and just the cowboy thing. It's super cool. And so in this day and age, I feel like there's not a demand for Westerns and there aren't very many good Westerns that do come out. I had seen Hateful Eight not long after it came out because I'm not a huge Tarantino fan. It's not because I don't like his movies. I like his movies just fine, but I've never gotten into him the way that a lot of people do, but uh, like me, Hateful Eight for me was one of the first westerns I'd seen in years that it just blew me away it was really raw and just over the top probably one of the most insane movies that I've ever seen because it's so improbable in so many ways but the way they tie it all together makes it really believable and I just remember seeing that not long after it came out and it blew me away and true grit I saw not long after it came out and I don't have much of a memory with that, one. I just thought it was really good and enjoyed it. Maybe not as much on the second watch for this podcast, but still really enjoyed that movie.
2: I sat down to watch Hawkeye and then my wife said, I don't really really feel like watching Hawkeye tonight. Hawkeye stars Haley Steinfeld. I was like, "All right, fine. I'll watch True Grit for the podcast. Turn it on. Lo and behold, Haley Steinfeld. I was like, (laughs) what? What what are the chances? I had no idea she was in that movie, so that was cool to see kind of her big breakout, Mm -hmm. which I'm also just a fan of her music. I didn't even know she was really an actress until until recently so that's neither here nor there but she was great um i loved true grit i genuinely had a great time with that movie it felt like it really captured the essence of, of a western mm-hmm. um like the, the setting was just like i was there and the, the way the dialogue was written and the way they spoke and interacted felt authentic to me believable. um and i just loved it like i really just wanted i was kind of bummed when the movie ended i was just super into those characters and the dynamic of the girl and you know jeff bridges and matt damon and just kind of how they all there was tension and but also some connections. With Hateful Eight, had never seen that either. I watched that for the first time. I'm admittedly not a huge Tarantino fanboy. I understand the appeal. He's one of the most unique, different. He just, he comes at storytelling from a completely different angle, and I think people really gravitate towards that. This one I just felt like was a little, my first experience, I've only seen it once. It felt a little over-stylish, a little, almost parodied westerns a little Mm -hmm. bit. There were some fun moments and some great characters and, you know, I I had a good time overall, but I just, I I grab after watching True Grit and it just it was such a like honest portrayal of yeah. a western and then you switch to Hateful Eight it's such a tempo change it was just kind of it was a little bit jarring I think
1: I wonder what would have happened if you'd watched those in reverse and had been like conditioned for interesting the, True Grit like, 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 why is it so mm-hmm. slow well because honestly that's I'd watched Hateful Eight first and then went to True Grit and they're very paced very differently mm-hmm. like True Grit is paced like an old school western there is a problem you go find the guy he's kind of taking his time traditional first, structure the, the whole first yeah. hour of the movie is them setting up their relationships setting up the dynamics setting up like this is how Jeff Bridges is going to be and this is how the girl is going to be and this is how Matt Damon's going to be and the, the villains maybe you'll find them maybe you won't oh and now they're in Indian territory okay and then at like second half of the movie is full steam ahead and, and it's super cool and it, super yeah. emotional
2: True Grit felt like it was trying to cover a lot of bases that was in a book quickly like, like what's, what's, what was in the book that's important to mention and let's cover it and I yeah. think I think they did a really good job Hey, Floyd. It's not, you know, it's like they just kind of set
1: up camp. Hatefully, just- to me, was like a game of clue. That's exactly what bit. it was. I
2: got It was a Who It. I compared yeah. it
1: to Clue. Oh, really? That's
2: exactly what I compared it to. Like that Knives Out movie. I don't know if you guys yeah. have seen that, but in the West. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was just literally like a game of Clue. And it's a stage Super play. Weird. It feels
2: like you're watching theater.
1: Well, most of the shots are wide in that movie. There are very few tight mm-hmm. shots. Like you're looking at the scenery or just the entire store or whatever that place was, the haberdashery. Uh, Minnie's like haberdashery. You're looking at, there are very specific conversations going on. You're looking at these wide pulled out shots. And so it definitely felt like you were watching some kind of weird play mm-hmm. going on
2: that's a great reference Kyle it, this, it did feel very theatrical I think just because the characters were so over the top too. oh yeah and I think yeah. that's what I'm, what I'm referring to mm-hmm. when I say parody of western like it's not it's not played straight it's played no. way over the top mm-hmm. yeah. intentionally like it was Tarantino like every character
1: was about five points crazier than it probably would right. have been in real life
0: my experience is with westerns this is a weird statement but I never liked westerns because my racist grandpa liked westerns and I hated him. Oh, weird! I hated that guy, and I hate. Oh, I don't, I don't. I think he's alive. I don't even know if he's alive anymore. But he loved westerns. I was like, well, those are probably pretty bad. This is the guy that made mm. me turn off the NBA Finals. I was like, so anything he liked, I was like, that obviously can't be good. So I kind of ignored westerns for a long time. And then I watched Hateful Eight a few years ago when it came out, and I remember it was a Tarantino movie. And I was, I've always been just a dedicated Tarantino fan. The first Tarantino movie I ever actually saw was True Romance, and yeah, he didn't direct it but he wrote it. And I was like, who's this Tarantino guy? And then I just, over the course of my life, whenever I got the opportunity, I would dive in to a Tarantino. And I just, I loved it. So in a way, Hateful Eight, even though, like you said, it's over the top, kind of crazy, it did kind of give me a taste for that Westerns can be good. Um, I think Tarantino is one of the most unique voices. I just, for some reason, I relate to the stories that he buries and kind of his exaggerated, you know, hyperbolic storytelling. I do think he buries, I think Hateful Eight has a, a really interesting message that some people overlook which is yes it's crazy and over the top but this room is filled with people and each person is trying to reconcile the post you know emancipation proclamation life the post-civil war racism like each character is trying to in one room work through that and it's it's kind of crazy you have the racist general then you have samuel jackson who is he uses the fake letter because he knows if he doesn't use the fake letter he's not going to be able to get anywhere and so i loved how tarantino in this tongue-in-cheek manner kind of put that on the forefront, like. And it made me wonder, what was that? What would it have been like to be alive during that transition? There,
1: there's something about Tarantino films where he aggressively makes people face really uncomfortable things. Yeah. It's like, whether you like it or not, you are going to either deal with racism, you're going to deal with the Holocaust, you're mm-hmm. going to deal with something, and he's going to do it in a way that disarms you a bit, but then he, I mean, it's just in your face the mm-hmm. whole time. It is. And if he just forces you to almost reconcile your own stance or, or situation there. Like he, I said, he runs everything at a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. That's how he does
0: it. When and when it comes to True Grit, you know, I watched the remake. I actually watched the original first, so I hadn't even seen it. This is the only Cohen's Brother movie I hadn't seen, by the way, hmm. um, because it was Western. Um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Like I said earlier, Tarantino and the Coens are on my Mount Rushmore. I mean, No Crunch for Old Men is a top five movie for me. Coens, to me, are, again, like Tarantino. They have control. They have a voice. You can just drop me in the middle of a, a Coen Brothers movie without telling me, and I'll tell you in five minutes, this is a Coen Brothers movie. I love that about both these directors. This is a good movie. Movie. It's not a good Cohen Brothers movie.
1: It's it's not the most accurate depiction of because Cohen Brothers movies usually have a lot of irony to them and a like, lot of very, irony, you know. And
0: I can't help. And we texted about this conspiracy theory here. I saw maybe this tainted me, but I saw Steven Spielberg's name roll across the screen in <laughs> the credits, and I was like, what the fuck? Would you think Tarantino would ever let Spielberg produce one of his movies? No. no and I was, not. and I hate to say it, and like, and you asked, you're like, well, we'll never know how how much he intervened, right, Drew? That's what you texted, I was like, ask Toby Hooper from the poltergeist set. <laughs> Because he directed that movie, but what have people said for decades? Steven Spielberg directed that movie. They Crazy, just, They yeah. just kept
2: Hooper's name. That was 40 years before this. I know. It's a little, a little di- I mean, it's, you can't just assume that it was the same situation. I don't know. In a said it's a good movie. Also, Spielberg can make some pretty damn good movies. He can, this is so true. but he can a- also make some clunkers. But the
1: funny thing is, this movie didn't feel like a Spielberg film it or didn't. a Coen Brothers film. It felt like a remake of a yeah. John Wayne movie.
2: It felt like an adaption of a book to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. no,
1: yeah exactly. Yeah.
2: It was a good, safe movie. Movie,
0: you know, and, and, and I think the only probably... In but like, that's what Westerns are. Not the, they're the old ones, though. They, they At the time, some of the Westerns were some of the most violent movies. It's funny, you watch them now and they're nothing, but when you read, when like, I was yeah. re- researching the Dollars uh, series with Clint Eastwood, at the time, they were considered very gritty. Uh, and, Interesting. And that's because they had a lot of Italian directors that embraced violence more so than mm-hmm. American filmmakers did at the time. Interesting, yeah. So at the time, people were like, they would actually describe it, even though you never see blood, like you see people getting shot, Shot a lot in old westerns, but you never see actual blood unless like they follow up after and zoom in on the face. But like you know, they were pretty gritty. But all that to say, I thought it was it thought it was a really good movie. I love Bridges. I love it when Jeff Bridges and the Coens collaborate. It just I was hoping for more Coens signature. Yeah, it didn't
1: have that, and it didn't that have signature.
0: that signature. But as a fan, I have you know I'm a fan, so I have to digest that. Like, do I judge it as a good movie or a bad Coen brother movie? It's a good movie, and I don't want anybody to think I don't like well,
1: it. Well, and but. the thing that is always a hallmark of the Coen brothers. is is their just incredible sense for directing the talent at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Everyone in that movie was flawless. The performances were insane. Jeff Bridges was perfect. He was on it. You felt like he was from that time, like he owned that role top to bottom. The girl was like super precocious and just hitting way above her age and place in life and, mm-hmm. and sold it and you believed it. It was it was outstanding. I
2: thought Damon was good too. I feel he like was. Damon he was. He, was he, he wasn't too Matt Damon-y. You know, what I mean? No, like yeah, he which a great way. point. You're
0: right. I really liked him, in that. and and we've we've talked about this before. I'm kind of like just sick of Damon. Like I like him, but sometimes I'm <laughs> no, just no, like, like another <laughs> Matt Damon movie. I'm like Damon's in outer space. Damon goes to school. Damon, <laughs> <laughs> what has he not done? Damon wrote
1: a poem <laughs> with his friend. It's like, oh, okay. He's a janitor. It's
0: like, okay, I get it. Damon can do it all. He colonized Mars. <laughs> he went to the west. He's a crooked cop. But uh all that to say, you know, I really enjoyed. And uh, here's the thing: I love it when this happens. I went to it hating Westerns and now I'm like, I really enjoyed watching.
2: I want to go back to something you said though. You said you felt like it felt safe. And I feel like that's kind of what I liked about it because the Mm -hmm. thing I didn't like about Hateful Eight was like, what Phil just said was Tarantino like confronts you, you know, in your face about things. And I I don't like that when that means watching rape and watching Mm, people be racially oppressed and Mm. watching just really uncomfortable. Like, I I just, I go to movies to be entertained and those things are Mm. not entertaining. That's disgusting. It makes me want to run away. And it probably
0: felt safe because we were comparing it to And so if True Grit is
2: considered, if it's not, that, if not being that is what makes it safe, I would way rather watch a safe movie. Sure, I get that.
0: No, I totally get that. And listen, like, one thing I did not like about Hateful Eight was I just, and obviously we'd have to understand what Samuel L. Jackson, you know, he obviously was in the movie, so I don't know what that's, about how he feels about the racial tones of the film. And obviously they're talking about a time where racism was absolutely horrific, but I hated hearing the N-word every other minute. That was mm-hmm. one my if I could criticize this film for anything, it's like I did get sick of just like, my gosh. But it was like, what did Samuel Jackson think about that being a star and a constant collaborator of Tarantino? So I do agree with that. There are moments where I like and and I think I do brush up against that in a lot of Tarantino movies. It's like, okay, like, I get it. All right. You can tell. Yeah, I totally agree. You and you have out.
2: to I mean you have to tell stories about racism mm-hmm. and like that because that it happened, and if you make a rule yeah, that exactly. you can't, then you're saying it didn't happen, and that's even worse. Like you right. have to, you have to acknowledge it. I think as a storyteller, but like you said, it's really just abrasive. It's right, well, yeah. it's really in your face. Well, I, and one tension point I think with Tarantino is that I don't want to say it's played for laughs, but the characters themselves are so dialed up that they come across like everything they say is played for laughs, almost. I, I Not quite. It's sure. just so dialed up that when they're throwing the N word around and they're mm-hmm. bam- like boisterous character stylings it's like, uh, it's, mm-hmm. just like it just, it's just just—it's weird to me a little bit because
0: they were saying that in between punching a woman in the face and then the rape yeah, thing and it's it, was like, like, it it's is like It's just constant. real
2: fast mm-hmm. and loose with these really heavy. Sure
0: yeah I mean this is what film is for I mean and this is why it's different than any other medium instead of just reading about it instead of just listening to something about it our visual, think about it with film our visual, mental, spiritual everything is being stimulated mm-hmm. and so we're seeing and hearing and feeling and that's why film is so crazy because the artists of the world, the Tarantinos and like it's just like they are trying to show us their perspective of, of a certain mm-hmm. time in history and it's whether you liked it or not like we we all three it sounds like we're asking ourselves what is our perspective on what we're seeing
1: and I think that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Or, more, or more so like what message is he trying to deliver with this film mm-hmm. because I feel like you depending on your perspective you could pull a lot of different themes out of this film or a lot of different intents out of this film I totally get where everyone's coming from with this. I personally am, I love being challenged by movies that I watch in some mm-hmm. way. Like same. I kind of like watching difficult things which is weird. I don't know, maybe I have like you a- You and I are the same in A that. thing for, mm-hmm. you know, just wanting things to be harder than they should be. Maybe I need to deep dive into that. <laughs> we can unpack that on Movie Wars. Phil yeah. unpacks his bullshit. No, I'm the same um, way.
0: That's why I watch movies. It's a mental exercise. It's the, fil- it's the philosophical, yeah. it's the, yeah.
1: But I also just love even watching the filmmaking aspect and, and just the beauty that these people are able to bring into some really generally terrible situations which both of these movies were kind of predicated on terrible situations but the filmmakers brought such like stunning cinematography and set design and location scouting and all that into both of these movies and both of these movies to me were just a joy to look at. Oh like, yeah. Like the Tarantino movie on a more detailed front he had a color palette in that movie that he used and it worked really well and then in True Grit it was just the beauty of the open country. Both beauty you, you can say whatever you want both movies stunning
2: yeah didn't you at. just watching hateful eight didn't you just feel cold the whole time yes, yes. like you see their breath keep coming well, out because you, know, you, you could also see the snow and the yes. light behind it. the way it was lit was very intentional you could see the snow flecks, like creeping through the walls and stuff
1: well also did you notice too that the color palette in the wagon in the first part of the movie when they're going to minnie's haberdashery was part of the color palette that was also used in minnie's haberdashery but then in the haberdashery he introduces the blue items that aren't any anywhere else in the movie there are like two or three blue mm-hmm. items that just pop against that brown and mm-hmm. yellow like the coffee palette. pot and the, the coffee pot and, and a couple of and the other orange things.
0: yellow that thing always caught my eye yeah they're so goldish yellow i was like whenever it popped on screen it was very visible
1: yeah every scene had like these interesting color pops mm-hmm. that were so intentional because everything was brown yellow and white and then there was like a blue color pop and then a, you know the bright yellow color pop or something like that. so i thought it was
2: you gotta put a second one in the door damn it you gotta yeah, <laughs> (laughs) Oh, every time I did. By like the third time, I was like, "For the love of God, I get it. You have to put two planks and move on." I laughed. God, Tarantino just camps out
1: on things. (laughs) I laughed harder each time. I la- I mean... Because they were all... It, then it becomes a chorus of, you got a nail too, boy! <laughs> well, who broke the door? Yeah. <laughs> you got to kick it in!
0: <laughs> Randos. The 70 millimeter lens was the biggest lens made. There were only a few made, so, like, when Tarantino decided he was going to do it in 70, like, he had to actually, like, go antique shopping to find one. Like, there was only a few made. Weird. I think the... I Now, I, I didn't really catch this. He talked about this during a Comic-Con interview I watched. Either... He he was saying that 70 millimeter was the type of lens that was used on Ben Hur, or the one that he got was used on Ben Hur. I didn't ever get that distinction, but that's the. We se- can fact
1: check though.
2: Fact check.
0: Fact check. But either way, bam, that's bam, cool. Bam, bam, bam. Panavi- fact check. And 70 millimeter Panavision was used for like nature shows, for documentaries about the desert, Antarctica, like wide pano shots. If you look into the. Desert. In fact, second part of that rando, 96 theaters showed The Hateful Eight, and it cost eight to ten million dollars to retrofit all of that's the projectors what I f-
1: to fit 70 millimeter projection. I had a few <laughs> friends who like sought out those theaters because they wanted to see it the way it was intended. I bet that was awesome. I I'd imagine, I mean the detail must have been like out of control. I love that. <laughs> Is there anything more like up your own ass
2: though? No, but that's what he does. That's what he does. He's up his own ass. I'm going to make it in a really hard format for people to watch. Yeah, He'll he got never he, be he able got, to watch this on VHS. He got the studios <laughs> to
0: pay for it. I don't know. Hateful Eight was originally written as a sequel to Django Unchained. In fact, before Samuel L. Jackson was Warren in the film, that was going to be Django's character. But the problem was, is that because of Django's good moral compass, it really conflicted with this idea of everyone having shifty shitty? morals. <laughs> yes, everyone having a shifting moral. So he ended up shifting to Samuel L. Jackson's character, but originally it was supposed to be Django as that character. Hmm. I love Django. I would love to see him appear in a film again. Jamie Foxx. Rush that. Yeah, he did. Incredible. So there were a lot of interesting casting decisions that were made uh, Daisy Domergue was originally going to be played. Jennifer Lawrence was like they were going hard for Jennifer Lawrence in that role.
1: Interesting.
0: I would have loved that because I'm a work. huge, I'm a big Dave O. Russell fan, and he collaborates with Lawrence all the time, and she would have crushed that. Um, of course, he wanted to get Christoph Waltz, and they also looked at Viggo Mortensen. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't Christoph Waltz. Uh,
2: at both of these movies, they the, these directors go like use their guys. Like you yep. see, uh, oh, you big see time, Samuel yeah. Jackson oh, yeah. is, you know, that's one of Tarantino's guys, and then Brolin pops up and. True Grid, that's one of their guys. So
0: Yeah, and both directors always like I mean, going back to Lady Killers, which was Cohen Brothers, which was an early remake by them. I mean, J.K. Simmons. I mean yeah. they, they work with J. K. Simmons all the time. Dude is not in the reading,
1: movie, so why the fuck are we talking about him? <laughs>
2: I'm just not gonna, I'm just reinforcing Drew's point hey, <laughs> hey, he was great in Spider-Man though
1: JK shut the hey, fuck I up
2: I love JK Simmons though He's great do? He is great
0: Um other actors: J. Jonas Jameson Daisy was the hardest person to cast So listen to this list Gina Davis Demi Moore Gina Davis
1: Yes That would have been interesting Hilary
0: Swank Michelle Williams uh, For Daisy Domergue uh, Evan Rachel Wood And
1: Robin Wright Robin Oh come weird. on she, No I mean she's great But that I mean she, I feel like that's a weird fit
2: uh, 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 Drew could you pass the Elderly elk, oh, old
1: elk.
0: This is really cool. So famous Western composer Ennio Mar- uh, Marconi did the music for The Hateful Eight. So he did uh, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, Once Upon a Time in the West. This dude, no way. he hadn't done, a, I think he hadn't done a score in 40 years. And his score for The Hateful Eight was a mixture of new stuff. And then he
1: pulled from some of his older films. So I mean, here. I loved the score in The Hateful Eight was mm-hmm. great because it was really simple. Kind of haunting, And it was kind of this like just cello melody that would come in and out here and there. And it was really dark and weird. Yeah. So
0: anyway, Some Gelidy. of it, Gelidy. Kurt Russell reference here, and some of it, what he used was unreleased music that he did for The Thing with Kurt Russell. The fact that he came back out of the, the woods for a Quentin Tarantino film. Last rando for Hateful Eight, the script was leaked in 2014. so it was, I
1: remember that. Yeah,
0: and it got online. It pissed uh, Tarantino off. Now, luckily, what he said in the Comic-Con interview, he's like, I always do three drafts. He limits himself to three drafts, but he knows he's going to rewrite it three times. He said, luckily, that was the first draft. And he did major overhauls anyway. He said that was probably going to be part of the process anyway that I would eliminate a lot of that stuff. But he really had to do a ton of rewriting because of the script leak that happened. Um, and there was some heavy legal action involved in that as well. Randos for True Grit. True Randos here. We're going to go. Drew, you loved Haley Steinfeld. Guess how many girls they auditioned for that role? 753. 15,000 girls. Good fuck. Audition. How, how do you
1: have the time for that?
0: They probably got teams. teams I mean, they definitely have they teams. They probably pulled Adam Levine off the
1: voice for a minute. <laughs> 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 Ryan Seacrest was up in that
2: shit Yeah they got like multiple agencies Fielding multiple audition tapes And then, mm-hmm. then they all turn in the best ones And then another agency Like yeah I, yeah. Don't, know, I don't know how that works
0: That's crazy And I, it's probably because It's just kid to teen actors I mean you They're hard to find good ones I mean it's probably I, I would imagine yeah She but, was phenomenal She was She was so perfect uh, it was her film debut, and she got nominated for the Oscar. As she should have. Mm-hmm. Did she win the Oscar? She did not. She did not win the Oscar. She, she got won, nominated.
2: like, a, I think, like, I looked it up, too, because I was curious. I was, did, mm-hmm. she, did she get some love for this? Because this is really good. She won, I think, like, a, one of those, like...
0: Jupiter, Saturn. A to tank. Uh, one of those planet awards.
2: The Jupiter, no, Sat which it's one Saturn One awards. of them is Canadian, right? Juno.
1: The Junos Juno. are Canadian. Yeah. Uh, she won a Juno for it?
2: I thought it came out in July.
1: Juno! <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> July, yes. Yeah, July, yes. <laughs>
1: Juno. That was, that was one of the
0: hardiest bronchioles I've had.
2: Oh, that, God, you and your bronchioles. That hurt. Have so, you ever gotten
1: that checked out?
0: I feel like there's something there. I'll get it checked out when I die. They'll probably <laughs> figure it out after I die. I'll be like, wow, he probably should have gotten that checked out. Yeah. So what they tried to do with the remake of True Grit was they wanted it to be based a little more on the book. So they righted a few wrongs that the John Wayne version got wrong. One of those is that Rooster, uh, Jeff Bridges, wears his patch over a different eye. Um, oh, yes. And there was a different, powder mark for Josh Brolin's character for, uh, what's his face? Good for their Labeef? attention. No, not Brolin's Tom character, Cheney? Was his, Tom yeah. Chaney. So the powder mark was in the right location. So there were little details that they wanted to do that aligned with the book, with the remake.
2: Well, there were bigger details, though. Some of the plot points were different. Yes, mm-hmm. the
0: ending was way different. That
2: scene in the new one, when they because they get disconnected. Mm-hmm. Basically, they, like Lebeef quits on them mm-hmm. and goes his own way. So then, that's how he, like when they're sit, perched up on there waiting for Cheney's guys to come back and then Labeef comes yeah, and then Chaney's guys come and that whole thing happens. That mm-hmm. was not in the original which I thought that was one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, Yes. And that yeah. was not, in, they stayed together that entire so time. They st- like the chimney thing still happened but they were all still together. Yeah, both of you guys watched the original. I wish I had watched it. Yeah. yeah. There I were just,
0: some things the remake got right. For sure. That scene with the chimney, I love, that whole that whole progression was great. Speaking of minor details, in the scene where Labeef bites down on his tongue uh, nearly severing Ooh. it. the <laughs> I was. Nope.
1: Uh, well, I know I was, anything
0: like, with the struggling tongue. with that scene. It's
2: a crazy muscle, isn't it? If it were a Tarantino movie, it, the tongue would have been like dangling out the entire
0: time. We have seen did, it the whole rest of the, the movie, death, yeah. and then someone else would have thrown up on it.
2: Yeah,
1: well, <laughs> this, if it was a Tarantino movie, this is how it would have gone down. It would have come off. They needed carried it with him, and every time he needed to talk, he'd have stuck it in his mouth, said what he needed to say, then pulled it back out. <laughs> <Ba-da-da-da>.
2: <laughs> 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 rowback. See last week's episode. Oh, wait. No, two weeks. Ago. two, Four but, weeks ago. One month ago.
0: But the way Damon did that is he tied a string around his tongue for all the subsequent scenes. So the reason he actually sounded like that. And I don't know if that's what perfectly mimics a severed tongue, but whatever.
2: I actually had some problems with that. Go ahead. Well, I just feel like the dude bit through his tongue, but then he sounded pretty He was normal. fine. Yeah. Was that fine. hit me too. Kind of sounded like he had a string on his tongue. He kept saying like, it'll knit, it'll knit or whatever the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, so he like let it. It's like, okay, Okay, if it needs to be like sewed back together, you should. You would not. Mm-hmm. First of all, you would be in so much pain, you would not be moving your mouth. Oh yes. Second of all, you would be so swollen that you would not look like Matt Damon anymore.
1: Yeah, you would look like Dad. And third maybe. of all,
2: even if you weren't swollen and you could talk through the pain, you would sound ridiculous. And he sounded pretty much the same. <laughs> anyway, carry
0: on. the midnight caller story that Maddie tells at the fire to calm down Labeef and calm down Rooster. That story also is in. And another Coen Brothers show, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. So that exact story, the Midnight Caller Have story. you guys seen I The haven't. Ballad
1: of Buster Scruggs? No. Holy fuck. It's a film? No, it's it's, a series of shorts. It's a series of shorts that are compressed into like an hour and a half thing on Netflix. It's a Coen Brothers deal. It is fucking outstanding. I heard it's good. It was one of those when my wife was gone, like out of town. I was like, what should I watch that she will never want to watch? I was like, oh, Coen Brothers, she hates them. So I put on Ballad (laughs) or Buster Scruggs because another friend recommended it. It was so good. The episode was Mortal Remains. So
0: the exact story that Maddie tells is also in that. No way. Mm -hmm. Yep, so they've used it twice. That's not- not uncommon for the Coens. they they reuse stuff from fargo and other movies and just
1: FY uh, FY the ballad or buster scruggs is dark and hopeless
0: i'll quote naked gun the great frank drebin when he says every day you take risk whether you're crossing the street or sticking your face in a fan there you go so shall we war in the west how the west was won how let's do it
1: ward how the worst was worst
2: Hi, let's go west
0: yes once upon a time in the war card oh <laughs> hey fistful why of war is that cards. funny yeah Hey, Drew, get yeah.
2: out that iPad. Let's do top bill cast, man. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. True Grit, top bill cast. We'll do uh, Jeff Bridges, Matt Damon, Haley Steinfeld. For Hateful Eight, we'll do Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, and Jennifer Jason Leigh. I
1: was refilling my bourbon. This one is hard because both movies had real strong casts. Yes, they did. I mean, I've been thinking, the funny thing is, I I know obviously we do this category every time and I've been thinking about this and I don't have an answer. I think I'm going to go True Grit here just because of Jeff Bridges' performance. He did not break even a little. Like his drunken, like Southern Sheriff thing, he owned it from top to bottom and it was so just, I felt like that's who he was. And the same with Haley is Stein. Infield, is that her last name? Seinfeld. No, it's Seinfeld. And <laughs> um, Bridges is Newman. Burl, burl, burl. She was outstanding. One cast wasn't necessarily better than the other, but the performances in True Grit, that to me was the best part of that movie. So I'll go True Grit for a top bill.
2: Just to run him down, Samuel L. Jackson, he was great. I really enjoyed him. Entertaining as always. Uh, really just kind of demanded. This is a Samuel L. Jackson movie, so I really liked it. Kurt Russell, fun. Something about it I didn't really dig. I can't really put my finger on it. He was just... Such a dick. I guess he was, <laughs> that's what he was supposed to be. So he did his job, but I, I don't know. J- uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, too dialed up for me personally. So true grit to me. Jeff Bridges was flawless. Matt Damon's was like, just stayed out of Matt' his way. Like he wasn't, like I said, wasn't too Matt Damon. He didn't chew up any scenery, just played his role really, really well, I thought. And Haley Steinfeld was extraordinary for all of those reasons. I'm going to say true grit.
0: Wow. And I feel like Goggins narrowly escapes the. Oh, uh, Walton
1: Goggins was. He's supporting.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah he narrowly escapes as a. Not top bill cast, but I feel like that for everybody that would have maybe complicated. Cause I kind of feel like he was almost top bill, but he wasn't because he's in so much of the movie and he's so essential to the beginning and the end. But yeah, he crushed it. But anyway, he's not in the list. I do go hateful late Samuel Jackson, my fifth favorite actor of all time.
1: <laughs> I was so It always <laughs> blows me away that you have these guys keyed like oh, right to it. Dude, my and nine hundred. He's, uh, he's,
0: he's a recent addition to my top five. Oh, he's is a, he now? He's a guy that I feel like gets a lot of roles and some good screen time, but like you said. This was a Jackson film, and it was so nice as a fan to get a lot of him because he really, he really dominates. Like he, but he doesn't do it in such a way, like i, I domin- like you're right, everybody is so dialed up in this, but Jackson was just Jackson here. And I feel like he really owned the movie without being he's
2: just naturally dialed up. That's why he's he naturally yeah.
0: dialed up, but he's so good. He has such a command over his craft. I love all of his characters. Um, it doesn't matter if he's small, if if his role is small, if it's a big role. Like, I feel like he he makes every moment count. Um, and I like Jennifer Jason Leigh. I feel like Don Margu was supposed to be dialed up. I feel like, you know, she's half the movie. She's talking with her front teeth gone. You know what Very I mean? Very
1: gone. It was hard to look at at times.
0: She was so funny to me. And I, I love it. Here are the moments where, where she shined. The moments where she sides with them, even though she's a prisoner of these people, but like whenever they would make fun of someone else and she sided with the people making fun of them, even though she's a prisoner and everybody wants her, like half the room wants her dead. The other half is trying to, you know, save her life. Yeah. I, I love those moments. When, and then she would make fun of him and then what Kurt Russell would throw the yellow stew in her face. Yeah. I, it's very Chaplin-esque. Like, I got kind of like... But that's writing. Is that her? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why Jennifer Lawrence, Hillary Swank, like, they picked her for a reason and I think she crushed it. Passed. No, I don't No, I, I don't know. I don't know that Tarantino would have wanted to work with Swank or any of those others
2: in this. Is Lawrence too pretty? I had that thought. She mm-hmm. might not be as re- I don't Bro. think she's repulsive enough. This cle- Hopefully, the goal here was to make her as repulsive as possible. And they did. But it doesn't matter, but, you know,
0: I do, I do just want to say reiterate again. If you're not someone that thinks about Jackson in your top five, top ten, go visit his catalog. The dude's brilliant. Anyway. May I have some of that beverage to wash down this delicious burger?
2: <laughs> Supporting cast! <laughs> <It's>
1: <laughs> Walton
2: Goggins. Oh, this is hateful hate. Play. Walton Goggins. Forgive me for Tim th- Roth ensuing butchering of this. Oh, shit. Ton. Demian Beshear? Sure. Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, and a slew of others. A ton of frequent collabs. Collaborators, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, just- True Grit, Josh Brolin, Barry Pepper, Dakin Matthews, and a slew of others. Uh, I'll start. To me, Walton Goggins is the best. He's the best actor in *Hateful Eight, in my opinion. Like that role is the most memorable. He was so much fun. Every time he opened his mouth, I was so excited. Like, non Jackson? Are you saying better than Jackson? I think he's better. Jackson. Okay, all right, whatever. The movie came. The movie came alive for me. Like I was all of a sudden interested when he stepped into that. I was like, okay, this guy's interesting. Like I don't know. He was just. I didn't see it coming. And I just loved When he spoke, anytime he said anything, I was like, I'm in. So funny, so charismatic. And I just I was always wondering, what is he up to? Like, what is this guy doing? I was just, I was connected to him. Um, <clears throat> I just think the cast, the, just everybody kind of existing in that building together for two hours was just really entertaining. And I think that they did a really good job together. Uh, True Grit, they were fine, but nothing nothing stuck out to me. Um, it was fine. It was filler. So yeah, Hateful Eight for me. What do you think, Kyle? Oh, I was I gonna say, speaking work. of yeah. filler,
0: but I feel like I, and I feel like I didn't do a great job because I. I focus on Jackson so much during Top but I did want to say I actually love Kurt Russell. I thought the Codgity kind of like misinformed kind of. Crotchety? Yeah, kind of. Well, old <laughs> so codger. Like, old codger. Krajongity. Cr- like, I feel like he spends the first 30 minutes of the movie trying to get documentation. He's like, I'm going to need to see that letter, or I'm going to see. Like, you notice that he's walking everybody. Who are you? He's like, he's so good at it yeah, He's it, trying he's,
1: to get the lay of the land, yeah. but we're not
0: talking about that. But he's right kind now. of annoying. I, <laughs> I want you to splice it in when you edit it. I'm not going to do that. I just want to say I love Kurt Russell in it. Here's the thing. We got a ton of frequent collaborators on both sides, especially in a supporting cast. Brolin, not super convincing. He be rolling. In No Country, oh my gosh, he stole the show to me. But in this, I just feel like he was kind of subdued. Hmm. Um, yeah. I He was on
1: screen for like two minutes. Yeah,
0: they definitely could have done better here. The uh, Barry Pepper, who plays Ned Pepper, I thought did fantastic.
1: Barry Pepper is low-key amazing in everything he's in. Yes. That guy has never not been great. But
0: I got to get on the Goggins train here. This is a guy, I mean, I think what he does so well, he's kind of electric in H8 because what he does, H8, the Hateful Eight, because I love what he does. He flips his position so so, it's so hilarious, and I know everything's dialed up, but, like, it starts at the beginning when they're in the stagecoach, when, you got me talking politics, you know, and, like, one minute he's singing the praises of this horrible racist general, but then in other, what is it, oh, my favorite thing he does in that whole movie, when he tells, whenever he's communicating with the general, because he won't talk directly to Warren, what does he say, he goes, well, tell him I was at the, bat, the battle of Baton Rouge, and what does he say, Gone goes, well, that's interesting, and then he turns, up just that little phrase, well, that is interesting, and then he turns, like, he just had those little moments where he could just flip to any side of the argument. Because by the end of it, he's on
2: Warren's side. He was a chameleon. Just yes. wherever, whatever he needed to be for his own self-preservation, he was that.
0: Best quote of the movie, you got me talking politics! I just That's when I was like, that was in the first 20 minutes of the movie and I was like, I'm sold on this guy. So anyway, Hateful Eight by a, a long shot here because I really do think Brolin, as much as I'm a fan, totally subdued in this role. Could have done more with his two minutes.
2: To be fair, all the supporting cast had a lot more to do in Hateful Eight. True grit that there wasn't a lot of work ton of dialogue it was all dialogue until the
0: nut shooting
1: um i don't need to give my vote but i will go hatefully it as well because honestly and this is i mean personal bias aside and there's some strong personal bias here tim roth and walton goggins are two of my absolute favorite like unsung actors in all of Hollywood, like everything those two guys are in, they crush, you know, that act, those actors you see and you look at their face and you're like, Oh yeah, that guy, like yep, that's wrong. Who, who is that? Who is that? Like, and you're like Googling, who is this guy? Like, that's Tim Roth, that's Walton Goggins. And I feel like in every role those guys play, they kill it. Like, from television to movies, like, one of Walton Goggins' best roles is in Sons of Anarchy. And then uh, Tim Roth has a a television show that ran for a few seasons called Lie to Me, and he was unbelievable in that. So to see both of those guys in this, like, you know, A-list, like, incredible film just hanging in there with guys like Samuel L. Jackson and Kurt Russell and in some ways upstaging them, easy win for Hateful in my opinion Roth is and he's been in more Tarantino movies than he hasn't been Interesting.
0: Tarantino puts him in really unique roles the first one that comes to mind is in Pulp Fiction because he's at the end he's the bunny you know what do they call each other what's their pet I've name I've
1: actually never seen uh, Pulp Fiction Future fill. don't put that in the podcast don't came out in like <laughs> 1992 I was not that old
0: he plays, but he plays the couple at the, at the end of the movie, the prolific scene where, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's running around collecting wallets and he plays the the guy holding up the shop with his wife. Like, oh, okay, anybody. No way. Yeah, that's Roth. That's Roth in Pulp Fiction. He just uses him. I he's in Reservoir Dogs, of course, mm-hmm. Essential. I just love, Tarantino kind of uses him like, what's a good football comparison? He's like Cordero Patterson or, you know, you know, there's the wide receiver that plays running back and probably can do punt yeah, returns like, too. That's To Roth. me,
1: like, Tim Roth and Walton Goggins are the two guys that if I see them on the, bill for the film I'm interested in seeing that film instantly because I'm like those guys get plugged into really cool stuff but no one really knows who they are yes but they're fucking awesome actors good point we're tied here we spent a lot of time on cast because we got great cast great cast in this great
0: cast very strong cast very strong very good Rooster Cogburn versus Major Warren so we got Samuel L. Jackson's character versus Jeff Bridges here.
1: Phil. I think Warren is just an amoral, like he'll just do anything to win. And I feel like if those two were to go head to head, Warren would just shred him. I go mm-hmm. H8 here because Samuel L. Jackson's character was just a freaking beast. He goaded that Civil War general into pulling a weapon on him so he could shoot mm-hmm. him. Yeah, Like he manipulated that guy. This old dude who has lived for 60-some-odd years, survived the Civil War, commanded this group of people. He goaded him into pulling a weapon on him so that he could justify shooting this guy to death. Like, he is a manipulator. He is, like, in everyone's head. I feel like he just fucks with people. If it wasn't for somebody hiding under the floorboard shooting him in the nuts, that guy would have won the entire movie. So I I feel like Major Marquez would uh, do some significant damage. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that... As great as Jeff Bridges' character was, I don't know that he's got the uh, lack of limits. I'll
0: go next. And, and I like that you pointed out that scene. It was really, I had to do a lot of research on that scene with Warren when he, which is an awful scene. I, if there's one scene, I feel like we could have cut out of that movie. It's probably that scene. I don't even want to talk about
1: it. I know it, Drew agrees, but I don't. I loved that scene. But I also love really I liked him talking
0: shit. about it. But then when I saw it, I was like, oh my God. like. But the, the thing is, is that it's literally 50-50 if you go to Reddit. It's like a lot of people think that's a real story. And a lot of people think he was just making it up. I, just to I think piss he was.
1: Making it up to get yeah. the guy to pull the gun on him because he knew he was a yeah. Confederate. Was he a general or something? Which one? The, the uh, dude in the chair. He was general. Yeah, yeah. he was a Confederate general. And yeah. so why wouldn't he try to goad him into pulling a weapon on him so he mm-hmm. could just shoot him and it was justified? Like I don't feel like that was a real story. I think he was fucking yeah. wrong.
2: to me. I feel like the story Tarantino established that it was a real story because he showed it. If it wasn't Possibly. real, why would he show it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. A, he just showed what Tim was. It's a imagining. Seth MacFarlane move. You know, yeah, it kind he of showed is. the story as it's being it's, told.
0: It's confusing and that, and I will I will compare I, what the word I used for a lot of Hateful Eight hate was fever dream a lot of it felt like I was because it was so cold in the movie like you said I felt cold and I felt like I was hallucinating sometimes because you you know for large portions you're just confined to this cabin in small spaces and then all of a sudden we're having flashbacks and it kind of felt like I was hallucinating like mm. literally that's the effect that had on
1: Interesting.
0: me but I go I do go Warren here and it is just because he accomplishes <clears> like <throat> you said if it wouldn't have been for a guy under you know under the floorboards with a gun he would have mm. had his way he would have found his way into everybody's mental space because mm-hmm. that's what he was great at, and um, yeah, I I don't know how it would be interesting to see a think of a movie where these two Rooster Cogburn and him cross paths because that's a really interesting matchup to yeah. me. But yeah, I go I gotta go Warren here. He was a mind fucker.
2: Drewski. I think Rooster is maybe like ten years past maybe his prime. And it feels like Samuel might be right kind of sitting in his prime. So that that would be a, a leg up mentally, I think. I don't know. I, I'll i go Rooster because I think that he is just, for lack of a better term, like he's just got balls of steel. Like he I does, I think he's yeah. just, I mean, mm-hmm. he's got true grit, as they say. Like yeah. he's just, it feels like no matter what, he's going to find a way mm. to win the game. Yeah. So I'll go Rooster. Wow. It's two to one here. Great category. This is a new category I'm trying out. I've never had
0: one like this, but because the last few episodes, I've had to do a lot of like binging to like, catch up like I had to do with Star Trek and Star Wars which one of these films makes you want to go on a western binge like you watch it be like man I just gotta watch all the westerns now I can well go.
2: it has to be True Grit because mm-hmm. Hateful Eight is not Grit. a western I mean it, it is but it's not True Grit is a quintessential it like, captures the essence of a western yeah.
1: Hateful Eight is a Tarantino movie like True mm-hmm. Grit had the open land it had the the wide you know, like just the beautiful scenery of the country mm-hmm. they were in True Grit like the, and it, what's funny is as I was watching both of these movies Hateful Eight felt pretty encapsulated to me it was what it was. It was the clue board game represented in a weird Western film. But True Grit made me want to just collapse into a Western binge for sure, like without a doubt. Sure.
2: Well, that's what made you want to do the Western binge. It's what what made us want to play Red Dead Redemption. It's like that's mm-hmm. the movie that made us want to like kind of dive into Western.
1: Because it was slow. It was slow, but it had the open country thing, mm-hmm. and it just had everything that makes just a satisfying Western. I loved it.
0: Yeah, and this was a tough. And I think True Grit is the real answer here because Hateful Aid is not a like a traditional Western. But I do want to just point out for the record that as much as Wayne is a legend, and and I probably will get crucified for this, but
1: uh, who gives a Wayne shit? Wayne is great, but Everyone the Duke the Duke Fuck was
0: that. kind of at the end here in the original True Grit. So Bridges was an upgrade. But after rewatching all these Clint Eastwood westerns, like he is the standard. And I just want to say that Rooster Cogburn is not even he doesn't even fall within some of these Clint Eastwood characters. I mean, that's the Archetype, so yes, True Grit would lead me down that path. But man, once you start watching Clint Eastwood and some of these, you're like, I'm like, I can't wait. I want to watch re-watch all the Dirty Harrys now. Like, I want to go on a huge Clint Eastwood binge now, just because of the path. But yeah, True Grit's the answer here. It's the formula. It's the format. It's interesting seeing it with modern lighting, modern filming techniques. True Grit was a beautiful film. All right, we're tied here two to two. And I hate to dip into football because I know not everybody that loves movies is a sports fan. But I think about Steve Young, Jerry Rice, Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, the tandems that made. Football happen. Quarterback, wide receiver. We got a ton of frequent collaborators here on both sides in these films. So let's just go straight for it. Quentin Tarantino and his frequent collaborators. We got Samuel Jackson. We've got who are the other ones? My God. I'm sorry, <laughs> Well, guys. I guess
1: that determines this. Category. I'm sorry.
0: Tim Roth. And then on the true... Michael Madsen. And then Michael Madsen, who has been in almost every movie. And then on the true grit side, we have Jeff Bridges and we have Josh Brolin recurring here.
1: I think, personally, the Coen's Jeff Bridges thing is a strong win because Jeff Bridges, man, he just morphs into these characters that the Coens create effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Like, you buy him hook, line, and sinker in all these roles. And it's not because, like, you're like, oh, it's Jeff Bridges acting great. It's like this char- he is embodying these characters. He's embodying Rooster. He's embodying the dude. He's embodying right. all these things that the Coens are dreaming up. It's one of those rare times when like a visionary and the person playing out the vision just come together flawlessly and make an incredible product. And so I feel like the Coens and the frequent collaborators in their sphere win here. Great I'm answer. sure I know that's a, a tough one because Tarantino's <sighs> got his guys and you mm-hmm. know his movies live and die by those, but man, the Coens with their guys, it seems more effortless to me when it comes to a Cohen movie. Great answer.
2: I'm going to say Scorsese and DiCaprio.
1: There you go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh,
2: I think, I mean, I've never seen The Le- Big Lebowski, so it's tough to know what the Jeff Bridges connection is like, but probably Hateful Eight just because uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, those guys are, you know, have made some really iconic pictures together, so it's cool to see them consistently pop up and make mm-hmm. work together and to just think, like, what it's like to be them and, like, get that phone call and, like, yes, we're doing we're it again. Doing we're doing again. making another yeah. one, my boy. Like, it's it's there's got to be some cool camaraderie. <laughs> (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know there's some cool parties where they get together and just tell stories about stuff Mm -hmm. they've done together in the past so yeah
0: i love that and i was teetering on this category until i heard phil's answer and you convinced me to go true great here but mostly because the dude in the big lebowski is such an embodiment of the cohen's he's such a (laughs) cohen's character and man like people love referencing the big lebowski like people love saying the dude abides like it's just it's because it's
1: a how it's did such quotable, a weird, weird
0: film? culty film turn into such a cultural phenomenon?
2: Like it's just so random. The <laughs> biggest movie of all time had a big Lebowski reference. Endgame. Oh, did it? Weird. Drunk Thor was like you know he kind of looked like whatever. And yeah. and Tony Stark was like, "Watch out, Lebowski!" Like he called him Lebowski. Yeah. Wow. But there is something to be said.
0: I, I do want to put a slight note here for Tarantino, though. There is something to be said for directors that make opuses. You know, there are opai. Oh, opai. There's the Paul Thomas Andersons, right, who made their will be blood who made boogie nights there's uh, you know Scorsese these directors that make opuses it makes you wonder why they go back to the well and it's because it's there's a relationship there and I, I don't course. know what it is just a, as just a lay person that just loves movies but there is something to be said about these great directors like the Coens mm-hmm. like the Tarantinos Christopher
2: that, Nolan and Killian Murphy
1: and Leo and well yeah. it's just Leo you know Scorsese. as a creator yeah. that you have these people you can trust and it's no different than like you know being a music producer and going to your like key session guys that it's like, you know, this guy's going to nail the guitar mm-hmm. parts. And, you know, this guy's going to nail the drum parts. Like, you have your guys that you can trust and you know that they're going to field your vision correctly. And right. I think that can't be understated. Like, sure, could somebody else have entered those roles and done just as good of a job? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not the point. The point is you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this cast mm-hmm. is going to do that and field your vision well.
0: And they just fall the line. And Roth and, Roth and Matson are such great examples. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are two actors that if you ask the casual film fan, like, do you know this actor like who like, exactly basically every Tarantino movie like he played that guy I love yeah. that guy it is three to two true grit TG versus H8 as it is notated on my sheet this is a fun category best names we have some fantastic names specifically Labeef Rooster Cogburn Rooster Cogburn uh, John Ruth Daisy Domergoo, and the Domingue gang I mean we have names galore I, I love them on all sides but
2: what, what, what are the best names here? Woo. Well, I couldn't hear Cockburn without thinking of Cockburn. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: So, like he of, got oof.
1: dragged across a carpet, and his <laughs> penis is now very, very... Eviscerated. It
2: was turned right to Labeef. <laughs> <laughs> it's his ground lebeef. Ground, Le Beef. ground. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a bourbon. Yeah, True Grit. Those are some of the, I, I mean, they're silly. Ned Pepper. They're, they're pretty silly, but they're definitely more memorable. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go True Grit.
1: Phil. I think I'm going to go True Grit also just because, I mean, Rooster Cogburn. Like, you remember that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember really the names of the people in Hateful Eight as much. Like, they don't stick with you. Possibly because there's so many more of them. Well, I don't know, though. Tim Roth's character, um, I can't, Oswaldo. Yeah. not Oswaldo. What was his last name? You just proved your own point. I know. It's, I know I'm <laughs> they my own point. Well, except... But wait, every time <laughs> he'd say his own name, I well, would just be like, that's names. such a good name. Oswaldo Mowbray. Yeah, Oswaldo Mowbray. Like, he was just... It was just the most absurd name ever, and he was owning it so hard. But because I remember the names in True Grit and don't remember the names from Hateful Eight, I will go T to the G to the RIT. I gave it to Hateful Eight. I mean, the way Walton Goggins, the names roll off of his tongue.
0: When he when he recognizes General Smithers, the, the racist General... Yeah. Is that General Sandy Smith is over there? Like, just hearing the names, the Domingue Gang, you know? And there's this whole thing between, like, and I did a lot of research on this, too, like, where they purposely...
2: Know? But what if he said, Rooster Cogburn! Walton Goggins... So you're the- talking about Walton Goggins, you're not
0: talking about the name. I know, but he says the names. It's the Galtin way he says them. Waggins. The way they roll off his tongue. Goggins is everything in the <laughs> <play> tape <it>, okay? Okay. <laughs> And there's this whole thing is like, were they saying Domargu wrong? Is it were they trying to say Domain Gray? Because I read that both that they use Goo as a way to throw off the cops from the Domain Gray game. I also read that. Oh, I had not made that. I name. also read that they were just mispronouncing because no one knew how to say Domain Gray, and that gives us Channing Tatum, which is so random. Random. I don't like him a lot, but he does so great. random. He does so good in
2: that. Is but. that a category? Best A-lister that pops up at the end of a movie? Yeah, for yeah. no Brolin reason. And maybe Channing yeah. Tatum. There's like. Both both randomly there,
0: so True Grit wins. You can't go wrong. Tons of names. Ned Pepper was probably my favorite name. It kind of made me wish my Ned name was Pepper. And then Pepper.
1: the real guy who played him was Barry Pepper. Barry so, Pepper. You know. Whoa. And weird. his favorite drink is Dr Pepper. Yeah, he's sipping on that fucking drink <laughs> the entire Give movie. Cokes are up though. Yeah. Pepper. Twenty three flavors. <laughs> Pepper. Barely spiced her.
0: All right. This is a fun category. I had to get a little what is creative even here. Happening anymore? Which movie is better if a director swap happened? <laughs> which movie really is
1: better if
0: the cohen's directed Period. hateful eight because they and the reason i did this they have such distinct voices and
1: styles oh my
2: god you just blew my mind and
1: if tarantino directed true grit which movie is automatically better for it um i hate to say it but if tarantino directed true grit i feel like it's automatically better for it yeah i hate to say it. him plus rooster I disagree. god
2: really what do you think it's already in my opinion it's perfect like I would, there's nothing that I would change except the tongue thing about Damon. But mm. otherwise, it's perfect. Like you, what, what would you change? I don't disagree. I feel it's like you could have been a tone, little like, edgier, like
0: with the tone, the you just way that more direct. blood.
2: Like what, what's the difference? Yeah, there would
0: be more violent. Yeah, if, there if, would be
1: more blood. There will be blood. <laughs> it would be two hours longer. <laughs>
0: The script will get leaked. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Just think about their tone. Just need the, more here's the thing, and racism with, yeah. right?
1: with True Grit, I I just, there was something in me that wanted it to be a little edgier. Yeah, that was same. A,
0: just a tad. Because hmm. the Coens can be, like, they can be edgy yeah, within have reason. Have
1: seen Burn After Reading? Yeah, they can be very edgy. No, I have not. Oh, it's very Dude, good. Burn After Reading is the really weird. The status and the security weird. of your shit. <laughs> that, that Brad Pitt. That is a Pitt. weird-ass movie. <laughs> it's so funny. You would like it. Brad Pitt's hilarious. Yeah, though. there's a dildo rocker scene where somebody's sitting in, a, <laughs> sitting in a chair and a dildo's popping. It's fucking They stole weird. that from Carrot Top, the comedian, by I'm the sure way. I'm sure they did. Anyway. Does anyone care about Does him? Does that help
2: you with your answer? Uh. Well, you were going, and I asked a question. So, Sue, so you agree.
0: Actually, I, I do go the other way. I think the premise of True Grit is very simple, and it's so aligned. I think the Coens, that what they do is characters. You know, we talked about this when we covered No Country for Old Men. Our favorite characters that we all talked about were the minor characters, the lady in the trailer park, the, the guy that ran the boot shop. Like, these little characters, I would have loved to see them. Can you imagine the Coens with Samuel L. Jackson, Walton Goggins, how they would have explored I I think they would have explored them differently and it would have been i think they would have toned down some of the edge that i think you and i agree could have been removed and still would have been a great film i actually think the cohen's would have done a great job hmm. with hateful eight i know that's well, kind of a weird i think take. they would
1: have done a great job with hateful eight too but i think i don't know you he, think it's better true grit would be better with tarantino that's the category uh, uh, but do i though i don't know you know I, I don't even know what i'm thinking anymore um to me both of those movies were perfect in their little boxes that they lived mm-hmm. in like hateful eight i loved everything about that film and i actually now I wish I had gone and watched it in the 4-hour format which is on Netflix that I didn't get to see. I'm probably going to go back and watch that. But I loved everything about Hateful Eight, loved everything about True Grit. They were great in their own right. Both movies would have been very different with each.
0: Oh yeah, that's the point of the Direct category cuz they're both so distinct and have their own voices. I
1: would have loved I think at the end of the day I would have loved a little more edge from True Grit. That's it. Okay. I think Tarantino would have brought it. So you think True
0: Grit would have been better with Tarantino? What about you, Drew?
2: Well, I think I just think that True Grit is a story that needs to be told with traditional story telling structure sure and yeah. i don't think I quentin don't tarantino is quite frankly is capable of that. I think he needs mm-hmm. to be really You're not wrong. He needs violence. Flexible. He, he needs, needs Well, not even just the content, but he needs like within the structure of it, portraying a script like he needs freedom This to is... be way outside of Yeah, yeah. This is
1: possibly the most mindfuck category you've ever presented. I don't know how well, it came Well, to, to
2: me it's clear True Grit falls apart if Tarantino does it because True Grit is a, is a traditionally structured story. You could be right, yeah. So if yeah. he gets involved it's like, it's just it's not True Grit. It's, it's three hours different movie. It's different has true lies grit Coen's can also do the thing where they camp out with characters and just kind of like they're all in a room and they just like you just watch people act and they do a great job with that I mean didn't they do Oh Brother Where Art Thou Mm -hmm. that's kind of like the same type of setting like it seems like they would thrive in that context so I think Hateful Eight would be better true
1: lies grit Yeah, true
0: True romance grit true grit (coughs) I love that category we're going to have to pull that out it only works because they have distinct because these aren't studio guys like whenever they're thinking we're going to do a Star Wars reboot they're not like call Quentin Tarantino. They're middle finger guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I want, the, I want to put a scene in the new star Wars reboot where they throw up on each other. And true Grid is up by one here. we got two categories here. This is what we fell into with episode 20 with first blood and commando. Like it was like first blood was getting dominated and then it was four to three all of a sudden. And yeah. the categories mattered. That's where we're at today. I came up with another, I always want to come up with a flex category. I love flex categories. What's the bigger flex? Mark has taking on the Domingue game with a bullet in this test or Cogburn hunting Pepper and Chaney with one eye. I mean, he did a lot of damage after he and got drunk. shot. Very and drunk. And drunk. I like that. I mean, how much damage did Samuel L. Jackson do after getting shot in the testicles? He was still working the room, man. Yeah, he was. He was, he was <laughs> he in everybody's He still head. working the room. He's like convincing people. He convinced Dude, a racist guy to take his side, a guy that hates did. black people. And
2: he convinced him to be on his side. It's a fever dream. It's also kind of a flex that he convinced almost everybody in that room that he had a letter from Abraham Lincoln. <laughs>
1: Ha <laughs> And then Add he, that to the category. Then he finally admits that it was bullshit. Like <laughs> what? I loved that scene because uh, Walton Goggins comes out and he's like, <gasps> "Ain't no way anyone in Mitty's haberdashery <laughs> has ever written with Abraham Lincoln." <laughs> and he just finally is like, "Yeah, I didn't." It's a final. I bullshit. love that. Also, that scene
2: when he was like, "From President Abraham <laughs> yeah. Lincoln, the President of the United States,", States. like four times, like in true Tarantino state, just like sat there in it, it just home. like nailing it home over that and over again. That is true. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character never once got annoyed. He's like, yes. He's like, the president of the United! And every time, Jackson was like, yes. Like, he was just, like, not mad. It was just it was funny. So and that was another... Me, as a, as a wa- audience member, I'm like, my God, this guy is so annoying. Like, I would be so pissed if he kept questioning me. And Jackson, like, knowing he's full of bullshit, was just like, yes. And that was another scene where Daisy, she's
0: heaping it on John Ruth, on uh, The Hangman, on Kurt Russell's character. He she's like... Punches taking- her or something. <laughs> Yeah, and he he throws the stew in her face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But she's like, ah! <laughs> she's like love that whoever's getting shit on in the room she just takes the other side She yeah. just like she dumps it on with them
1: anyway all that to say in my opinion bigger flex is samuel l jackson still mind fucking everybody yes with half of his body working and mm-hmm. laying in a bed bleeding out that guy just didn't have any quit in him
2: yeah how is the flex not carrying a girl's body like however many miles across the countryside to the that could
1: be life. a flex
0: i mean i
2: mean the I think doing everything with one eye because I have two. Yeah. You know,
0: they don't work well, but yeah, I mean that's a that is a huge flex. I mean,
1: but what about with one ball? Yeah, or no balls? Maybe is both the balls. What are you
0: what, are you? what you anti ball? Like two ball? Like does everybody have two balls to you? Or no? I'm a baller. I, I, <laughs> This Here's one thing we're not talking about with Cogburn and I know this is a stupid observation but he's such a drunk. He's doing all this in the desert. How dehydrated is this guy? <laughs> I mean, he's gotta be constantly dehydrated. He's
2: I did not de-
1: even thought of that. Maybe that's, that's so the good. flex.
2: I mean he, he took her it all the actually way- crossed my mind. I'm like, what? are these people ever gonna take a drink of water? Yeah. Ever? He's just guzzling whiskey like the entire movie. Yeah. You gotta be
0: having
1: a heat stroke by now so that's a huge flex whiskey too. Whiskey is the devil's water, know what I'm saying?
2: Amen, brother. Oh, hell yeah. Sip on that brown shit. I don't know. I'm trying not to be biased, because I clearly like True Grit better, but we'll just be biased. It doesn't matter, because we both picked You know what's Hay funny? I like them. Oh, you already went.
0: Oh,
1: I didn't. You haven't gone. I'm going to pick Hayflay. Like <laughs> I like them Spoiler. both <laughs> differently. Like, yeah. I, I don't know that I They're like two one different better than the other. I like One's I pop like music, hateful one's eight. death metal. Yeah, I like Hateful Eight for how fucked up yeah, it is. And I go. like True there Grit for how just go. good it is. They're,
2: equally, they're equal flexes, but I prefer not getting shot in the balls, and I don't care to seamen get shot in the balls, so I'll go with the Semen shot stuff. in the balls? And
0: knowing you... <laughs> there's the heroicism because there are no heroes in the hateful A they're all out for themselves they're all shitties you got yes. the hero because you are as a fan you just traditional
2: bro. storytelling you everybody. love yeah and that's yeah. I love
0: that about you but yeah I Drew I, Grit Drew Grit oh,
1: oh
0: nice I, and I went hateful A because not only hate hey, oh it. shut not only is it the flex but it was the irony of the story he described to Smithers about what he did to his son and the fact that he ended up getting shot there was irony that was I think that was an ironic device but the fact that Tarantino's choice was, yeah, he's going to get shot in of bed, but he's going to command everything. He's going to get the racist to be on his side, even though he's black. Like I, I love that he
1: got the dude to come out of the hole and then shot him in the head. Yep. At the end. Yeah, He just he was, that guy was like a master manipulator.
0: That's why I went hateful late. And we have one category left and it's tied.
1: Ooh! I love. stakes are high. I
0: love the scorecard. I love the war card.
1: I saved the best for last. You've had some pretty money-ass Strong categories heart, in this one. Really? Oh. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Quentin Tarantino versus the Coens.
1: I will go here. I Hate to say it, but I'd rather watch Cohen's film. Really? That's yeah. shocking. I think so explain. Yeah. You're like Walton Goggins right now. Like, oh, you got me talking Cohen Brothers. <laughs> like I said at the beginning, I like Tarantino. I appreciate him, but I'm not a I'm not a fanboy. Like I That's I could, true. I know you're not. I could take or leave his movies, but like I've never seen a Cohen Brothers movie that I didn't just thoroughly enjoy. From Big Lebowski to Burn After Reading, as weird mm-hmm. as that movie was. Loved yeah. True Grit. Like the security lo- of your shit. Right. And then, and then... Fargo, Raising not, Arizona, Fargo, no Country for Old Fargo men. is one of my favorite movies ever. It's incredible. And the Coens, I feel like, okay, Tarantino is, he's an extreme filmmaker. He makes, he tells crazy fucking stories mm-hmm. and throws in front of you all of the most fucked up shit you can imagine. In non-conventional formats. Yeah, it just in the most Tarantino way ever. The Coens do the same thing, but they know how to make it a little more commercial and palatable. palatable. And that's right. why I would go with the Coens. Because I feel like they just make a movie that more people enjoy and that's easier to enjoy.
2: I agree. I I mean, Tarantino, he's just like every Tarantino movie I watch, it's so overstylized to me. Like it's, it's so like, I just get the sense that he feels like he's being really clever when he's making decisions. I feel like the Coen's just play it way more straight Mm -hmm. and it feels like there's less agenda to be cool. It's more about just kind of telling a story and it's way more believable. Uh, No country. No country like it's just a great story like you just you're just kind of dropped into these people's lives and it's a cool experience for two and a half hours and then it ends and you're just like kind of connected to everybody but it was just a cool moment in time that you were a part of there was no it didn't feel like they were trying to make a cool thing and like he was trying to be funny and parody things and like make statements and like it, it just was and i appreciate that and tarantino feels just really there's a l- over cunning
1: yeah tarantino is really trying to make sure you know how smart he is whereas the cohen's it's like you know they're smart already and- and you're just kind of in for the ride
2: like even when he just randomly interrupted the middle of the movie to do that long narration to explain something it's like well he inserts himself into all of his movies exactly yeah. that's the point he I'm was making. in Django it's like, it's like he really just wants to be a part of everything and like I, I guess I can't criticize them for that because it's his movie but at the same time it feels like he's just he wants to be clever and it's not for me
1: yeah and even even for me it comes down to what are some of my favorite movies they're Coen Brothers movies other than hateful eight I don't really have a Tarantino mm-hmm. movie that appears in my top as as kyle would say his top 50 mm-hmm. but i i have a boatload of cohen movies in yeah there. i mean fargo one mm. of my favorite movies of all time big lebowski one of my favorite movies of all time burn after reading top notch i mean true grit absolutely enjoyable from top to bottom even though it's not really a traditional cohen brothers movie mm-hmm. they i think they just do a good job of telling stories that you want to sit there and, and listen to
2: all of that said i and all the, the tarantino fans out there want to hear kyle explain why tarantino is the best to ever do it but you know I love the Coens equally. I said they're both on my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, but you, we know we where you're at. No, well, this. here's the thing. Yeah, yeah,
0: here's the thing. Here, here's what I'll say. This is why I love having three r- voices in the room because I love hearing all the perspectives. What's funny to me is hearing you both talk is I put these directors in the same camp. You guys see them as different, but I think they're more similar than they are not
1: alike. They they're, use they are more similar. They they both push the limits. Yeah, and, yeah, which
0: is, I'm not saying that as a negative. I love hearing your perspectives because, yes, they use... Does it look different? It definitely visually is different. They both love cinematics. They both love big shots, big sceneries, and I love that. But They're both unorthodox. Very. Very, And they're so distinct, and they're so independent, and I I love that about them, and and the only reason I do go Tarantino here is because, you know, the payoff in True Grit was the end. It was the, it was him saving the girl's life. The ending was, was beautiful. And that was the biggest upgrade over the original, because we got, and I love the ending when she doesn't have an arm, and she goes back and pays her at his grave, like, that was such a beautiful thing. But it was the build-up to it was not a Cohen's build-up. And even though I know a lot of people think No Country for Old Men is a nihilistic film, it did emotionally connect with me. I was in love with Tommy Lee Jones' character because he was this old man lost in the new world of violence, and he couldn't relate because he had this kind of night, this innocence and this naivety that... I
1: mean, dude, that, Anton Chigurh is one of the greatest villains. Yeah.
0: Period. In all yeah. of film. The Cohens have such a signature, and it just... It's a good movie. It's not a good Cohen's movie because they have such a signature. And the thing is, the way that he, they are different than Tarantino, so I do put them in the same camp, but they they don't need to use violence if they don't want to. They can connect with you emotionally in the weirdest ways. Raising Arizona as funny and hyperbolic as Nicolas Cage and John Goodman, it's such a wacky premise. But there was a moment where I teared up in that movie because there was at about three quarters of the way in, I'm just like, God, they have me. They've They have found a nerve in me that compels me. And even though the payoff was there, it wasn't that Coen Brothers tunnel that I was following. You know what I mean? The path that they usually have me on. And I don't know if that was Spielberg. I don't know who it was. But in this case, it is Tarantino. But I do want to say the Coens have such a unique... Like, even though Brother Where Art Thou? Like, it's goofy. It's a kind of a musical. It's bluegrass. But there were moments in that where emotionally, they just find little seams in their films to kind of like, I'm going to make you tear up a little bit here. Even Burn After Reading, right? They just pick their moments and I think they're great at it. I do think something happened here where they made a studio film and I didn't get that signature Cohen Brothers. I do think they're more similar than they're not and I go Tarantino here because he executed his vision but I hate saying it because I'm just obsessed with these two directors are like why I say two, the Coens are one. This is why Movie Wars exists because of people like these auteurs. So. Did that make any sense? It did.
1: <laughs> it's 18 degrees outside. Boy.
0: It is. Oh yes, and this is funny. We are doing this. The Hateful Eight had a blizzard and it snowed in Nashville today. Day. Yeah.
1: It's so ironic.
0: Phil has a Forerunner, and he picked me up. My Camry was not going to make it tonight. <laughs>
1: Phil picked I me had up. A lifted Forerunner with giant so off-road. When they got like, here, we had like to like remove the planks from ready. the door and then nail yep. them back. Right. And yeah, we, we did this outside actually. So two boards. You need two of them.
0: So True Grit, five to four. What a great matchup, Phil. I love it when you make a matchup. So, I mean, I feel like we know preferences, but, but after, after all these categories, I kind of want to hear
2: the, the ending sentiments, uh, preferences, Drew. I, again, I just really prefer traditional storytelling structure like it just i like a clear good guy and what they're after and a clear pro, you know antagonist and why they're against them and just well paced dialogue and that tr- to me true grit was just archetype archetypically beautiful if that's a word like it was just like so yeah. well done and you know tarantino is just the opposite of that like it's just like everything is ambiguous and, and kind of crazy and silly and parody and it, there's not like a clearly defined there's usually not any good guys like it's mm-hmm. just they're all shitheads and then the movie ends it's but, So to me, True Grit is far and away the winner here.
1: Normally I would go the Coen's route, but I love being challenged by a film and Hateful Eight. It just, it did something to me in a way that Tarantino's movies normally don't. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, like other than Hateful Eight, they're always good and I appreciate the way he approaches filmmaking. But Hateful Eight was really one of the first Tarantino movies that I walked away from like, dude, that fucked. I think in this case, I would prefer Hateful Eight, but I don't discount the really just beautiful storytelling of True Grit. So mm-hmm. it's a case by case thing. Like nine out of ten times, I'm going with the Cohens or going Cohen. But um, in this one, I I just really like Hateful Eight for whatever reason. I think I honestly like the color palette and the cinematography.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> one it's other thing, beautiful is, to look at. <laughs> I think during True Grid, I forgot who was directing it, which I was just in the story. And it's then a t- great story. The Hateful Eight, I never it was. It was always so apparent to me that was, this was Tarantino being Tarantino. I don't know. I just couldn't let that go. So that's a, yeah. that's my own anecdote.
0: Interesting anecdote because it perfectly segues into my anecdote which is when I originally started really getting into movies and I first got internet I remember most of my time on the internet being watching a movie finding out who the director was and then going at looking at their whole body of work like I loved connecting it's weird for me as much as the celebrities and the actors are on screen it's like I want to know about the voice and I look at the director as a voice like when you say Nolan you think of a distinct voice Tarantino whether that's good or bad and i don't know why i'm like that but i will judge a movie up front as who directed it like how does this line up against their voice against their body of work and that's just how i process movies which is why i felt slighted with true grit because the way they have just emotionally wrecked me with all their other films i just didn't get it and i was waiting for it and so and it's honestly shouldn't be a strike against them because it's a good movie and they and it's honestly kudos to them they made a palatable movie because even though no country is great i think there's a
1: talent there yeah they were and like in being able to depart from your, yeah. your kind of twisty ways and make mm-hmm. like just a good down the middle movie that people mm-hmm. would like
0: they they did and it really does speak to their ability they made a studio film that I think everybody even my kids like in their teens could like uh, totally. so kudos to them uh, Tarantino and and even though it's hard there's some sadism sometimes with the scenes in some of his films I think he's a guy with a vision he's a true lover of film when you hear him talk about movies the dude is a nerd he is obsessed with films he doesn't do CGI. Guy. and I do love that that kind of Puritan approach so that being said I mean I I only go Hateful Eight here just because of that Coen Brothers deficiency but both of these directors have such a voice in an age where it's hard to detect voice because technology has become so incorporated in movies which is, is fine but I love being able to identify the storyteller like Verhoeven like, like oh this is Verhoeven you know what I mean I love that it's just part of my film thing but two really interesting films um, we're gonna leave the West next week I don't know We're going Eastern's. We're going Eastern's next week. Bruce Lee versus, no. (laughs) But uh, anyway, (laughs) awesome time. We love y'all. We can't smoke cigars tonight because it's two degrees outside, but have a good night. Love you. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Thank you for supporting Movie Wars. We have one more small ask. For just $7 a month, that's right, the price of one measly latte a month, you can support us on Patreon. This will get you access to special content, one-off episodes, and even live Q&As with the hosts, myself included. Also, more money helps us make more content, more episodes, drop stuff more frequently, and just get better all around. Not to mention, it'll feed our children. And isn't that what it's all about? The children. I'm gonna drop the link in the episode description. If you're on Apple, on Spotify, you can go to that episode description and find that link to our Patreon. Also, if you are on social media, we are active on all platforms, but we are especially active on TikTok. Find us at Movie Wars Podcast on TikTok. Thanks again for your support. We love you. Bye.